listening to The Dumb Will Speak, a podcast in which we seek to honor the truth of God as revealed in His Word. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of The Dumb Will Speak. Today we're going to pick up where we left off last time on an episode of baptisms. Actually, I believe there was an episode uh, between this on our second part of Bible translations, but today we're going to pick up on uh, on baptism again. Roy, uh, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Chandler? I am doing good, and I think we've got an agenda set today that we're going to try to get to, and, and, yeah. and let's jump right in. You know, um, last time we, we did a broad introduction to baptism, when we talked about various things about baptism, the nature of what it is, what it is not. We defined some terms. We talked about the three modes of baptism, and let me say before you listen to this episode, if you've not listened to episode number eight, you need to do that. You're not going to understand what we're talking about today. We're going to go a little deeper than what we did last time. You get our general view on baptism last in the la- that last episode. And it's the last episode in the chronology of our recording sessions. Yes. As I put in the show note for the one in, on, uh, on 9 that I posted uh, as we record this earlier this week, uh, that's the long lost episode. We had lost two episodes, one for Christmas and then the one that we had recorded around the time of Thanksgiving. We did a double recording session and we had done part two of... Uh, uh, Bible English Bible translations, and so we posted that, and I hope you'll listen to that as well. A little disclaimer before we start, uh, guys, we 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 extend grace to everyone in the in the body of Christ, and ask that you do the same for us. The stuff we're going to talk about today, if it differs from your view of what is spirit baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's fine. Uh, let's just get along together peacefully. If you by any chance have comments, questions, or you see that we've erred in some way, or feel that we have. Give us scripture, give us reasons for why that, and send it to us at comments at dumbspeak.com. That's comments at dumbspeak.com. You'll find that on our website, www.dumbspeak.com. So, Chaylin, today on our agenda, we're going to do a little compare and contrast between water and and spirit baptism, and we'll talk a little bit more about water and then move directly into spirit. I think with the water baptism, one of the things I wanted to say was there is, believe it or not, I'm surprised to hear this, coming as a Baptist background. I don't. I don't have any doubt that you baptize in water, but apparently there are some groups that feel that there are theologians that actually believe that baptism should have ceased in the first century upon the ascension of Christ, because when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, that ended water baptism. The last person to be water baptized was whoever John baptized last, and of course Jesus Himself as our example. And I don't know where that comes from. It's a bit Gnostic to me, and I, I don't I don't understand it because basically all you need for proof of who instituted baptism is you have you have references in Scripture that Jesus said it. You have Matthew chapter twenty eight. He says, "Go therefore, and um, go and make disciples, disciples baptize them, them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as I've commanded you." That's part of the Great Commission. Okay, mm-hmm. then then we have it again in all throughout Acts. One area we have it is in, in, in Peter saying that these Gentiles that had been filled with the Holy Spirit and were saved, they should be water baptized. Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? And he says, here's water. And, you know, upon his conversion, he's baptized there by Philip. You have multiple places throughout the book of Acts where there's baptism. Paul makes multiple references to water baptism. There's no reason to suspect that we shouldn't be water baptizing. So I'll move away from that. But that's I just wanted to throw that in there. No, and I, I think anybody would agree with you. There's there's oh, um I went blank on the word. There's there's motive all throughout scripture as we look for water baptism to sure. be done. Yeah. Um and we discussed the modes last time, you know, from sprinkling to to immersion and, and you know, 
to to see where we stand on that, you know, listen to last week's episode. But we do uh, just a brief. We do stand with immersion if yes, if possible, not, if feasible. Now, listen, and we 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 will also say this. There's examples in Scripture of those who were converted who did not get baptized. Okay, and I'm talking even New Testament. You have the dying criminal on the cross next to Christ. Yes, which kind of by its own nature sort of proves the the, the fact that baptism is not the mode of salvation. It is not a means of grace. It is an it is after part of grace. Once you are extended grace from God, you should do this as a commandment. It's an ordinance of the church, but it is not required for salvation. It's a it's like we said last time that a lot of people probably will not agree with. It is a secondary issue. It's it's primary issuing being that of salvation and the mode of regeneration, which we believe is all of Christ and all of His work, and then to symbolize that you are under Christ and under his subjection, now you are buried with him in likeness and raised to new life that he's given you. So it's symbolic of that change that has occurred. It's therefore making it a secondary issue. And if we make it a primary issue, then it's a problem. Yeah. It's a it's a big problem. One more statement about infant baptism. I, I have this week in my research read certain articles. Uh, one was by some Lutherans. Uh, one was by these. These were all Reformed evangelicals. Um, one one article just happened to be by Lutherans. It was on a, a site called Fifteen Seventeen. By the way, if you've never seen that or listened to their podcast, they're interesting people, Jalen. You might like it. Um, and then the other was uh, was in a Presbyterian uh, setting. My only thing is, where's the scripture for it? They have all these theological theories. We but should they do it. Cannot take me to a actual scripture reference where. Jesus or the apostles ever commanded infant baptism. Now, this idea of omission, because it's not prohibited, therefore it's allowable, as our tradition, that doesn't cut it. And then if you say it's part of the actual covenant, you're you're baptizing your children or being baptized for your children. That's another thing. Now, that did occur in early Christianity. There were three sects that did that. The adult parent would be baptized in the name of their child to seal them against infant death or, or something like that. And I guess that's what eventually led to infant baptism itself. This idea that if you're not in that, you're not sealed, it's, they're equating it. And they get their reference from Paul. As you know, they get their reference from Colossians. This concept of you can compare it to what the circumcision did. The problem is the circumcision never effectually saved anyone. Paul himself makes that clear. Circumcision was not salvation. That was an outer showing of a covenant between God and his people. And by the way, that was a national people. Individuals still had to come in, in faith and repentance and obedience to God in order to be saved. So that was just identifying the yes. nation as yeah. God's people. The sacrifices and the prayers and the heart was what had to be circumcised. Paul even makes that clear in Romans. It was the circumcision of your heart that God is looking for. The cutting away of the fat of your flesh. Your flesh, meaning the natural man, has to be done away with, and you have to become the spiritual man. The circumcision, the cutting away of the foreskin, was symbolic of that, but that in itself did not save anyone. Neither does water. No. Paul also makes that clear in Corinthians. The water itself is not what's saving. Well, let me pose a question I'm thinking of as you're doing this. And sure. I, and I'm putting in you on the spot with this. I understand. Um, and as you said that, since we know there's denominations that place their salvation in the baptism. And I think we've heard this most of our life, you know, and that that is kind of a mainline denomination, I would say. Um, Are they saved? That's a tough question 
You know, when I was younger. Well, actually, really, it's not that tough of a question. I was 12 or 13, I think, the last time I ever attended a Church of Christ. But at, it was at a uh, revival meeting. My grandparents had been invited. They took me and my cousins with us. We didn't, know, we didn't have any choice. We went. The message was good, and all the way up to the invitation. And they did an altar call, you know, Hellfire and Brimstone invitation. It had been a Hellfire and Brimstone message. At the end, he talks about if you've if you now have been convicted, of, convinced of your of your your standing with with God, and that you're in need of salvation, come forward, repent, and be baptized to be saved. Uh, I believe it's repentance and faith, or faith and repentance. That's the ordo salutis. That's the order of salvation. I don't ever see except one verse. And they always use that verse, but that entire denomination's view of of of, of I almost said eschatology, soteriology, doctrine of salvation, is literally built on that verse: repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. From the King James, and I said that was a tough question. I don't mean a tough question as in the as in the sense of answering the question because it's not. Because if you're placing your salvation in the works, then it's not all fully rested on Christ. It's a tough question for some. Sure, is what I meant because I know. Because, because then you've took a secondary work, and then you've and got to ask yourself: Does primary. this mean that every person who's ever been in the Church of Christ is not saved? Well, and no, I would not say that. No, I wouldn't throw the overarching blanket over that. the whole denomination and go, "Every one of them's heretical and lost." Right. No, no. Um, but I will say, and you and I've said this before: I think if you're in that type of structure, whether it be Catholicism, whether it be that the the church we're talking about, church well, disciples of Christ, disciples of Christ, you know, the first Christian church here in town, they're they're disciples of and, Christ. And they take that idea that without baptism, you can't be sure that you're saved. Yeah, and, and so, but I think if you're in that system, and then you come out of that system and truly come to true repentance, and you realize you're. The, the, the salvation is fully upon him. I think you come out of that system. I don't think you stay in that system for a lifetime. Right. I, I just don't think you do. Well, I, that would be true of Catholicism, that's why, Eastern yeah. Orthodox, any of those. Uh, here's, here's the thing to understand. In 1 Corinthians two ten verse 2, Paul is guarding against this mechanical view that baptism suggests salvation, therefore it automatically... Assure salvation. I have a little note that I wrote here in one of my books. I've got, it is not an, 1 Corinthians 10.2 is not an assurance of salvation. That, the, that, the fact that you were put in water, washed in water, is not automatically mean that you were saved. That is supposed to be the outward showing of your inward change. It follows in the order of salvation. It, the order of salutis. It follows after repentance. Yeah, you can't. I mean, you cannot say that... They're not that, synonymous. No, they're not. It's important. You, Baptism's important. You should be baptized. But but if you died following a true conversion of the heart and were never, and were never baptized, you're in heaven. And, and you can't say that your everybody... Your assurance is in, your spirit, is in the fact that your spirit is with, is with Christ. Nobody can say that everybody that's ever been dunked under the water is saved. Mm-mm. You can't possibly... You can't say that everybody that's made a, air quote, profession of faith is saved. No. Because... There has to be a change of the heart in order for there to be salvation. Don't we get that in the epistle of John, 1 John? Oh, yes. If they, yeah. went, if they went out from among us, 
It's and, because they were never of us. And from among us does not mean the air quote local body. That means if they went out from the body of Christ. The faith. The faith. They have departed the faith. They've departed the faith. They were never part of it. And if a true believer could depart the faith, what does Paul warn? They could never be saved. They could never be saved. If you could truly apostatize as an actual true believer, then you would you would force Christ to be sacrificed again for your sin. And there was a one-time only deal. You cannot lose what what God has given to the Son, if your soul is in the hands of Christ, and that is the hand of God, you're eternally sealed. John chapter 6. Yes. That's that's what we're talking about. John yeah. chapter 6, it begins with God doing the drawing, yes. God doing the calling, God doing the keeping. That's right. Notice the central figure in everyone. God, God, God. No man, and by man I mean mankind, man, woman, or child, has ever saved himself, and no one has ever kept themselves saved. We cannot keep ourselves safe. Our assurance no. is in Christ alone. Well, one of the most dangerous... Which I love that song, In Christ Alone, in Christ Alone. hope is found. One of the most dangerous things is any time that we begin to look at self for either assurance or salvation, we are in a scary place. Yeah. Because we do not need to go back... I, I think a lot of times it becomes some type of experiential thing. And, and we do experience Christ. It is experiential in that the fact that we come to Christ and there's an experience because we are made uh, recognized of our sins. We are brought to him. We, are, we know we're depraved without him. But for some people, I think it has to be this experiential where you go back to certain things or go back to some kind of remembrance. That's a scary place. Was it R.C. Sproul that said, if you place your assurance of salvation on your emotional experience with Christ... You're in a dangerous position because it's not your experience of God that saves you. It's who God is. It's who God is. Yeah. God I think that was saving. R.C. If it's not R.C., it does sound like something R.C. would say. I, I know I read it on Ligonier. Man, so I miss I'm, him. Yeah. I, I know I read it in an article on Ligonier. So back to baptisms. We're kind of, yeah, yeah. we're getting on well, our Well, little, no, it's related. It's related, but you it's know related. what I mean. um, So we, we do know that that John's baptism was pre a prefigure. He's the, he's the closing of the Old Testament. And Last the, of the Old Testament the, prophets. Right. And in that baptism, even that was not for salvation. It was after repentance. It was to show outwardly that you had repented. And you were, you were, you were, you were calling on God to save you. And you were moving away from the second, tem- second, second Temple Judaism, which was all Pharisaic at that point. Yep. It was all about your works and was more about, I'm waiting for Christ. And then John does baptize Christ. And what does he say of Christ? He who is here, now, he who is coming before he baptizes, he says he is coming that is going to baptize you. I baptize you in water after repentance. The one that's coming is going to baptize you in spirit and fire. So we're going to talk about that spirit baptism. That's going to be our main focus and, and, for the rest of the show. So, and, and but I, we're going to say something as a I don't want to say a preamble, but we got to remember while Christ is on the earth, while he's walking. The helper is not here. So they're not baptizing the spirit while he's here because the helper hasn't been sent yet. So when does the helper occur? He tells them. And for that, you got to go to Acts chapter 1, which I actually have pulled up. Um, what verse? I got it right here. Verse 
gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and not many days from now. So when they had come... And this is Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. Yep. And the, verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed in his authority, but you will perceive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. Now here's what we have. We have this leading up to what? They go and they wait for the day of Pentecost. Yep. That Pentecost is the Feast of Tables in Judaic um, feast law. And they're waiting for this. And this happens to be 50 days <laughs> after the Passover at the time of the death of Christ, by the mm-hmm. way. Yep. So that's what it was. Uh, that's what the Pentecost means. Um, so, you know, after that, in verse 9, Jesus ascends to heaven. Then you have, they go to the upper room and pray, beginning in verse 12. Then in verse 15, you have the choosing of the 12th with Matthias. Yeah, Matthias. They yeah, cast you have lots the casting for of that. lots. Peter and them, they cast lots and they have that. And yet that concludes, it says in the last verse, Matthias, he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, chapter 2, we have the fulfillment of Christ's prediction. This is when the Holy Spirit baptism begins. When the days of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues. Now, can I stop you right there? That for means a language. I start to say, if we were that, that translation, I think has got a lot of people in trouble there uh, of tongues. I would prefer to say that as they appeared to them in languages, yeah. in, in 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 not tongues, because we've run amok with that. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely says, and they were began to speak with other tongues. That word in Greek, glossalia, is 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 a tongue meaning a language. Does it literally mean tongue? Yeah, in the literal sense, language. but it's a known language. It's a known language. Um, as the Spirit was giving them utterance or the ability to speak, okay? Uh, ability to speak out is what that word means. Now, verse 5. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together. They heard it. They knew. These believing people and even non-believers knew something was up, Right? And were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak. Them meaning these apostles that were joined together in the that had been together in the upper room and were now in the crowd. Speak in his own language. And by the way, that word there for language is dialect. Mm-hmm. They heard in their own dialect. Uh, they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language?" To which we were born, and that word language there is 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 once is um, dialect or tongue, so it can be, it can be translated either way. To which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, that's those descended from from um, Esau, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Pontus and Asia. That Asia there means Turkey, Asia Minor. Now, understand something. These are all Jews. They've come here for the Pentecost feast. Yeah. These are all foreign Jews, but they're Jews. 
they're hearing it in their languages and they're no longer speaking Hebrew, folks. Nor are they speaking Greek or Aramaic. Some may have been speaking Greek. But the point is, Peter and the others were probably speaking in Aramaic. But they're hearing it in their own language and in their own dialect of that language. And everyone's hearing it in their own language. Their not own, not and just and one they're language. they're having no trouble. No trouble understanding what's going on. And... um. So understand what's happened here. These are the areas that began because of the dispersion. The time of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar and the carrying away in the captivity of Judea during the time of Daniel. So this began the time of, of the Gentiles. And what you have here is the dispersion of the Jews. Recall that 70 years later when Cyrus, king of Persia, allows them to go back, most didn't go back. Well, and I would, Only a small percentage went back to Jerusalem and to Judea. And I would go back further than that. When he scattered them... At the Tower of Babel, sure. you're now seeing the gathering of the, of the Jews of the, first. Sure. Of the Jews first, first, first to the Jew, the Jews then to the Gentile. First gathered back. So all the languages that have been dispersed at, at Babel now are being brought back in once again to the Jew first. This is why a deep word for word study of, of Scripture is important. It is. Look what Jesus said: first to me in Jerusalem, and this is where this is occurring into Judea, that nation of of, of southern Israel, Samaritans, the old northern Israel, which which had, had become known as Samaria, and they were hated by the more orthodox Jews because they were mixed well, race. And then it starts to spread out yeah. to the uttermost parts of the world. This means every every Jew and every person that's ever called, called upon Yahweh is now available here, and it's going to spread outward. It's going to be a revolution. It's going to be an evangelism to the nations even the nations that had never had it before. Because what's going to happen is you have the first That's eight the chapters. the parts of the earth. The first eight chapters, Peter is the focus. And Peter is primarily giving the message to the Jewish people that these nations that are now assembling back under. So you see them getting the gospel, the Jews. And then the transition period happens. And you begin to see it going to the Gentiles when you see the Ethiopian eunuch. And we'll get there in a minute. I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves. But this transition happened. So now you see the gathering right here of these nations that were dispersed at the um, uh, at the Tyre Babel. And, and, and he, he confuses their language. Now those are being brought back in. They're hearing it in one dialect. And so they're being... And this is the day of Pentecost. And then we see it move through the next seven chapters. And eventually you see it move to the Gentiles. Now, Jew first and then to the Gentiles. What did this spirit baptism do for Peter and the others in the upper room? It did two things. It brought them into the full body of Christ, the fellowship. Now it was complete. Jesus said, it's important that I leave. So that, yeah. so that the, so that the, the spirit helper? can come, the comforter. The, the paraclete, I believe, the paraclete. has to come. That's the Holy Spirit doing his work on the earth, drawing people to repentance. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to draw attention to himself. he want, He's the person that wants to draw attention to the Messiah, to Jesus. And through this, they've now been empowered. They are now the body of Christ. So it is actually being, in this very first moment of the, of the baptism, they are being put into Christ. Yes, they were already saved. They were already converted. But now they're being given, and I believe, this is the first time of the Spirit baptism. And that's why you see it happening after the fact of salvation because in instances of this i equate you can tell me if i'm wrong i equate spirit baptism with it happens once the holy spirit indwells you period which when does that happen 
upon salvation. At, at the very instantaneous yes. moment so this of this is now a not a separate event. It's not a second means of grace. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Why I say that is because it, starting in the 19th century, uh, even in the holiness movement of the Methodist Church in the late 18th, early 19th century, there was already a, a group of people who were calling themselves holiness Methodists. What that meant was holy living. But then there became under that this emphasis on um, Holy Spirit. Almost to the point that it had that it had never been um, pushed before in Christianity. And from that comes Pentecostalism. And, you know, you have the Azusa Street Revival in the 19, was it 30s? Yeah. 20s, 30s out in California. And that spreads throughout U.S., so do you Pentecostalism think, itself was more or less an American thing. Do you think the spirit is grieved when he's having attributes ascribed to him that are do not belong to him? And when I say that, when people say they are speaking in the spirit of angels, they're they're what is it, slew by the spirit? Yeah. I say you got indigestion. <laughs> That's what I say you got. I mean but you and I also are the ones too. I'm not a full sensationist. No, I'm uh, not either. I'm not at all because I still go back to what I said earlier on the translation of this. It's languages. So if a, a foreign missionary is on a missionary field and he is preaching the gospel, God can intervene. They can hear it in their language just like they did here. And they can hear the gospel in their language. And I believe that is a true meaning of hear what they're seeing. You and I know of somebody that's happened to. Sure. He, he was in South America. Very, he, very orthodox ministry. Yes, he really yes, is. yes, yes, he's, yes, yes. He, he is a very dear man of God. And yeah. he is one of those. He's not one that says you speak in tongues. He's not one that says you speak in uh, gibberish. Right. Is what I'll say. Um, it's actually, if you look at it in the Greek, it's an onomatopoeic expression. It's just blabbled, you know, just Babble. like if, yeah, it's if, if you make a sound of a zipper, like zip, you know, it's, it's, it's that same thing. It's just, well, if you speak in, when a baby, you know, that's all it is. a baby begins to learn to vocalize, but can't put words out and they speak in gibberish. In blah, gibberish. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know. John MacArthur did that one time. It's when you literally speak in, <laughs> you know, that's how yeah. he just, that's how he describes it. And it's like, he, he's right. Well, you have throughout this the concept, you know, again, we're seeing the beginning of it here at the beginning of chapter 2. This is Jesus' prophecy being fulfilled only one chapter later in just a matter of days, right? He said in just a few days, and it was just a few days later. But you're going to see when Peter begins to preach, he's going to tell them what's happening. This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Um, other places that are mentioned, beginning in verse 10, Phrygia. Can I interrupt you? Pamphylia. Go ahead. I thought we were supposed to unhitch the Old Testament. I'm confused. Can you please elaborate on me here? That's a negative. <laughs> there, there is look, look. There, there is no unhitching the Old Testament no, from the New no, Testament because no. all Scripture is given, right? And what was Paul talking about? He was only talking about those books of the was, Old Testament at the time. Yeah, and, and a lot of instances. In fact, you don't realize late until later when Peter's writing and he talks about the hard sayings of Paul. He's saying that. You can now add that to the canon. Paul's letters, although they're hard to understand sometimes, and they tell us hard things, they are scripture. He equates yeah. Paul's writings with scripture. So by the time Peter's writing his epistle, Paul's epistles are already out there. In fact, in general, Paul's epistles are written before the gospels, folks. 
People don't know that. I, I want to say this. People think the Bible is from Matthew to Revelation. That's not the order in which Actually, it was in the New Testament, most people will tell you that James was the first book written of the New Testament. And and that's highly possible. That's I mean, that is, you mean, look at a lot of the timestamps that we see in it. I mean, it is very possible, you know. So, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Now... We mentioned last time the the baptism for Moses and what that meant. Mm-hmm. Decided that you were there's two types of baptism. Paul says there was the baptism for Moses and there was a baptism for Jesus. The difference is with Moses you were you were taking on the proselyte of I'm now Judaic and I'm under the Hebrew law. Uh, Paul says that's not the way to be baptized. Now you're baptized into Jesus because he's the better he's the second Adam he's the better Moses he's the fulfillment of the law. Both Jews and proselytes. So these were people who had be, who had become Jews. Cretans and Arabs. And Arabs? Really? Yeah, they were saved Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They're full of sweet wine, meaning they're drunk. They're drunk. Yeah. So, Peter's sermon. This is not miraculous. Peter's going to explain it, and I'm going to let you read these scriptures beginning in 14 and tell what this is. There is nothing miraculous here. They're just drunk is all it is. But Peter... And remember, it's morning time, so they're like, they didn't wait till dinner to take a drink. I think it says it's the third hour, if I remember. It's 9 a.m. in the morning, and they're accused of being drunk. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, and all... You who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour, 9 a.m. the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it shall be given in the last days. Who says? God. God says that I will pour forth my spirit, on who? All of mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall dream dream or see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth, or, yeah, pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun will turn into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let's break this down, because here's some things you say. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. By the way... The entirety of the book of Acts is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Yeah, Look this, through it and this, see all these things come to pass. This is not today where people say, I dreamed a dream about this election and this is going to happen. That is not what this verse it's means. It's not in times. This is the now for them. But, and it's now and it's being fulfilled in your in your time. And what's the question I always ask you when somebody's like, well, I dreamed a dream and it told me this. Where do I put that? Do I attach that at the end of Revelation or what do I do with it? Mm. Sorry for that. That was free, folks. And then in my days, in these days, my my pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And by the way, this prophecy, this proclamation, these things occurred. Paul, there's lots of prophecy in Paul. Oh, absolutely. There's lots of prophecy in John. 
There's lots of prophecy in the epistles of Peter. There's things that have occurred, that did occur over a period of time throughout history since the first century, A.D., in the first century and onward. And there's things that are the now and then the not yet. There's things that still are yet to be fulfilled. And I think you move into that. Some disagree on this, by the way. But I think first 19 through 21 is the not yet. Sure. I think that's the signs of this before the coming of the second. The, coming the, the, of the second Lord, When he comes in the air and he comes in power and he, he takes he takes over, that's the wonders in the sky above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor, smoke. Others say, well, that's just hyperbole. That's prophetic, visionary stuff, apocalyptic literature. It just means great things are going to happen. There'll be wonders on the earth. And if that's true, then that has been being fulfilled since the middle of the first century and onward. Since that day on 30 AD onward, we've got these signs and wonders of people being saved. New creation is a miracle, folks. When you were born again, you were born from above. Was it Adrian Rogers always said you're heaven born? Yeah. That's you're the, heaven well, born. because... Translation of born again could be born from above. Yeah. It's actually literally that. And what is above us? Heaven. And so it's literally being given the new heart, right? Because in the Old Testament prophets, in Isaiah, he says, and I will take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Dare I say a heart transplant? A heart transplant. You're given, behold all things, behold everything old that has passed away, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. What Adrian Rogers always said, heaven born and heaven bound. Yeah. I mean that—that that was always, you know. Now you are heaven born, and not yet, but one day you're heaven bound. You, you're going to see him face to face. What um, a voice! And and he he goes on. Um, I, you know, I I want to say something about verse twenty-two. Are you down that far yet? Yeah. Okay. I want to say because it says, "Men of Israel, listen to these words: Jesus, uh, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as yourselves know." Uh, you know, pay attention to that because we always talk about the faith healers, things of the day, those kind of gifts. This go along with the gifts. What were the miracles that that Jesus used? And and the miracle was something out of natural law. It was a one time occurrence that happened. It it was a supernatural. It, it broke all the laws of nature, and it was instantaneously healed. Once you're healed, you don't go to rehab. If you're healed, you're going to stay there. But why did he use them? They were, because remember what Jesus says. He says, if you don't believe my words, look, look at what I do. Mm-hmm. Look at what I've done. These were sign gifts to attest to this new faith that has come to believe in him. And can I say something else? You go ahead, absolutely. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew that these were all prophesied of the Messiah. So they they had to, a part of them had to have known he probably is the Messiah, but... He was going to take their power. They were on a power trip. Yes. And the idea was, well, he's not the one we want. He's not doing what we want. He's not behaving as the son of David. He doesn't look He's hard. that suffering servant. We don't want that. What a beautiful chapter. But let's, yeah, let's, you, let's, let's, but you say that what, what the Pharisees, they like their place at banquets. They like their honor. They sure. like the attention. And what who, did Jesus say? They think by using many words and beautiful words in their prayers, they did public praying out loud that they'll be they'll be they'll be glorified they'll be heard and, oh, what's the and their words don't even reach the top of the ceiling they what's don't get the to public and say oh i thank you lord what's, well look, the, forgive uh, me yeah, yeah. a sinner. sinner and the the the, the and. pharisees looking over going i thank you lord that i'm not like this man a publican and a sinner and sadly we see that type of christianity today 
Yeah. So what do they say? They say, oh, um, he performs these works from Beelzebub, the prince of lies. Attribute the works of God to Satan. Yeah. Beelzebub. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, these are passion. These are strong words. And, and people who say, well, you know, Christians have got to be nice and kind and gentle. And we do have to be loving. We, we do everything in love. But our Lord and Savior, our Master, Jesus, the Christ, because that's the proper way to say it. He was the Christ, the, the anointed one, the, the Savior, the Messiah. He did not mince words. Truth no. was truth. What is just is just. And anything other than that was, was not enough. You can never live and, up to the standard of Jesus, but I'm saying we should try to be more like him. And in the process, that means let's get a spine, folks. Let's grow a spine. And let's I not, think we do weak. We do need a spine, just like you're saying. And I think part of the spine, I'll be honest with you, part of my growing uh, has learned to walk away. Part of the spine has when to go dust, dust, dust your shade, shoes off and move on. Shake the dust off my feet and head and, out and the door, And what did he folks. tell them? What did he tell his disciples at the time? It'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. Then it would be for the ones that denied your word. Look, Head out the door. He says, I do all these words. I do all these deeds in front of you. You're not listening to my words, but I do all these deeds. And you're rejecting me. People wonder why he went to speaking in parables. In fact, they asked him, and he says, to fulfill that prophecy. Because they, they'd already rejected him. At that point, they had told him he was an illegitimate son. They'd cast doubt on his parentage and said that he was just the son of a man. And some man had impregnated Mary, and it was not Joseph. Okay. And so they tell him he's he's basically a fatherless son, and he tells them, you're of your father, the devil. Um, so men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazarene, a man attested you by, by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. They knew this. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, Good Friday was good because it was not a horrible accident well, nor was it a embarrassment to the nations it was god's divine plan okay you're talking about it being a good day good friday yeah what does isaiah 53 it what pleased, pleased god god to crush him uh nailed nailed by, to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death but god raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power for David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Mm. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make full of gladness with your presence. Another prophecy from the Old Testament. That, that undergo decay is important, because that's in Isaiah. Yes. That's in Isaiah 53. Yeah, on Let the third me, day he arose. By the fourth day, you're decomposing. By the fourth day, you're decomposing. And it was very important that that prophecy right there, when Isaiah talks about that, um, Isaiah talks about that in later, that they cannot, he doesn't decompose. And that suffering servant, that great suffering servant, it talks about it. Yeah. So Peter's telling them uh, throughout the remainder of this, he gives more prophecies. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So many other things that they they get to the point and say, um, in verse thirty six, he's there after he's finished his sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, him being Jesus, both Lord and Christ. See, <laughs> back in the eighties, there was a big to do over lordship salvation. You were a young man and not a Christian then, I don't think. So, what year was it for you? It was it was the eighties. 
That's all I can tell you. It was the 80s. Man, I was a young. I was in high school. I was barely born. I was in high school when I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was a, who was a Christian uh, young man as well. And he was like, uh, what do you think about Lordship Salvation? So what do you think the problem is with Lordship Salvation? Not you think there's a problem. You don't yeah. think there's a problem. But I what don't. do you think other people's problem is? Could we sum it up in one word, synergism? Yeah. This idea that you have to give something, you have to be involved in your salvation. Um, so anyway, Peter says he was Lord in Christ. So you could say Lord and Messiah, Lord and Savior. This Savior, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Now this is where conviction of sin comes, right? We're, we're going to see the order of salvation right here. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What do we do now? We know, we, we're, we, we believe you. Jesus was the Son of God. We put him to death. We're guilty of his blood. What do we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as our Lord, our God, will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testifies and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word, those who had received the word, right? And who is the word? Jesus, right? So what is this word? The word of salvation. Those who were saved is another way you could put this, if you're paraphrasing it. Those, were saved. those who were saved were baptized. So it's not that they needed to be baptized to be saved. They, were, they believed and then they were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. And what were they added to? The 12. They were added to the 12. You see the birth of the church right here. Now I know there will be people listening to this podcast who will say, oh, but didn't Jesus say I established my, my church? So he established it before in his earthly ministry. Uh, he he established those that were going to be the pillar of the church. Well, when he he's talking about Peter, when he you're because you're, you're talking about the verse where he says, "Peter, who do you say that I am?" I'm alluding to the fact that there are those that that get hung up on, but you have to say the church existed before the day of Pentecost. Well, that's that's where I'm going with this because yeah. they will literally go back to Peter. Yes, and they go to Peter and they said, "Upon this rock, you know, who do you say that I am?" And he says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." I was raised a fundy. I've told and, you this before. Yeah. So for me, and, I was taught that that's when the church started. Jesus had already established his church. Those believers were already the church. But remember, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. And what's the pre? What is the prerequisite for the church? You had and, to have that Holy Spirit. And 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 so he says, "Upon this, what I will be the rock. confession." Yeah, the, yeah. It's the confession. Yeah, the rock is the confession that you are the Christ. Yeah. That that's the and and so, what do we do? We submit to his lordship. We confess that he is the sovereign God yes. of the universe. And when we confess, Believe in that's your heart, confession, and then the we're added confession too. is made. You confess it openly. Um, uh, so they were added to them, and this is the church. This is the beginning of the church. And um, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now... This is the beginning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is prophesied in all four Gospels. It is technically prophesied in Joel. Peter points that out. There was an Old Testament fulfillment in, in the, on the day of Pentecost. So now the Holy Spirit baptism has come. It's come upon all of those. They begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of those that have it are saved people. You can't have the Spirit if you're not saved. Paul makes it clear in Romans that the, that the most 
important thing he's noted in, in the doctrine of the church is that they have what? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in the human that has confessed Jesus as Lord and has believed in his heart. So faith and repentance has come. That person now is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, that was not true. There were saved people that the Holy Spirit could come and go as he will. You see that with Samson. Yeah. Because it, it said Samson. Saul. You see it with Saul. You see it with Saul. You see it with Samson. Samson said the, the Spirit departed. He didn't know. David was down in his spirit. Yeah. And that's the man that had walked in the Spirit of God and then suddenly didn't have it. You read verse 41. I was trying to get this pulled up just because you said, then they those who had received his word were baptized. Yeah. I wanted to read the NLT. You know, yeah. you and I like the NLT. Yeah. It, I, you know, it's one of those translations we talked about that I, I like. Well, as typical, there, I was reading from the NASB. And I, and I do too. And yeah. I just happened to pull it up and, and see what it said. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all. And I said, if you, you could actually word it that way. That's why I, I just wanted to and, point and, that and out. And we find a translation that actually does word it that I, way. I was just, while you were reading, I was trying to switch over real quick and look at it, and I couldn't get it pulled up. And Can I, I give did. you a, a bit of nerdy trivia? Sure, go ahead. D.A. Carson did the translation for the Book of Acts. Oh, yeah. Are you for the that? NLT. I'm sorry, you so that's mistaken his... me for somebody who's not a Bible nerd. <laughs> But the NLT, I, there's a plug for the NLT. It, it is a good, if you want to read ability, it is, there you go. I mean, there are going to be points that I do disagree. Sure. I, I disagree with the translation, but overall, I mean, it, it is a good solid translation. Well, now we actually have the origins of the, of the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. And now we can talk a little bit about that. We can give some theology here. Um, what it does, uh, I think we already said this, it puts you into the body of Christ. It makes you a member of the, of the universal or the Catholic. People don't like the word Catholic if you're a Protestant because that means, they think it means the Holy Roman Catholic Church, Mother Church. It's not. Catholic, in the, in the true sense of that general. word, just means the general church. You're now a part of the spiritual body of Christ. It's that thing that, that, that is used by many denominations to make you a, a recognized member of the local body as well, that, den, that denomination's congregation. So there's that method of baptism. That's what the water baptism symbolizes. But you actually have already been spiritually baptized. When that Holy and, Spirit is imparted to you on the day of salvation, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the best things to see that is Ephesians 4 for me. Go, read Ephesians it. 4, beginning in verse 1, Therefore I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy in a manner worthy of your calling. What is your calling? Salvation into Christ, into the body. To which you have been called. That's the calling of God in your life, and you have submitted to that, uh, uh, his authority. With all humility, gentleness, patience, sowing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's given you the attributes, some of the attributes of God, the the omnipotent and omnipresent, and some of those. And when you look at this, the theme of these verses is unity. There is unity in the body of Christ. Yeah. That is only unified through the Spirit. And you're only unified in the body of Christ when you're in the body of Christ. It's funny that you say that. I have that written in my notes. Well, So when Paul says one baptism, now let's keep in mind, there was already disagreements on baptism by this point. Oh, the modes had already 
diverse. We're already all over the place. So when Paul writes this, Paul's most likely not going to be talking about water baptism or one of these because we're already in disagreement. Dipping, because pouring, sprinkling. There's already a disagreement. Who knew? Church politics started early. <laughs> so, but when you, you, you look at this because uh, it's in Acts... Oh, I just went blank. It's in, in one of the chapters of Acts, and you have the apostle, or one of the disciples of John the Baptist, and he goes about preaching the word of God, and he's baptism. And is it Pris- Priscilla and yeah. Aquila pull him aside yes. and instruct him properly? But keep in mind, they didn't call him a heretic. No. They didn't say, stop doing this. You're not preaching. You're a heretic. You're heretical. You're stop. You no. They corrected him. They, they taught him the proper way. So I, I say that to say we know there is already a dispute sure. of baptism. So when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul is writing and says one baptism, one Lord, one faith. There is only one faith that is in the one Lord, and there is one baptism, and that is the baptism of the Spirit that is put you in the church, in the body. Yeah. This is unity. Yeah. This is the unifying factor of the baptism of the Spirit that places us in the invisible body of Christ. What did Jesus, I believe it's John that records it, or is it Luke? Maybe both. Uh, that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. I just said Gethsemane. I, Gethsemane. He says, like pray, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. Yes. You see... Everything that happens in our salvation, in our life, the very way that the world reacts to things, in, even in nature, is a, is, a, is a display of the triune Godhead. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are three distinct, and yet they are living in one. They are always in unity. And, and even- perfect love, perfect harmony. The idea is not going to be that while they, our example is them, right, is God, that, that we should live as God lives. But we're human, and we fail in that. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have sectarianism. There's, Like you said, church politics started in the very beginning. You already had denominations, whether we like to call it that or not, even in the early church. Well, see, But there's happened? only really one way to get to heaven, is what Paul is saying. There's really only one baptism. There's one baptism in the Spirit, one, one Savior, that's Jesus, one faith, that is in Jesus. That is, see, what happens early, and people don't know this about church history, but what happens really early is when you have the first church in Jerusalem. You know, there's many, there's, there's many churches make up the one church. There's the house churches. So what happens on the corner, you have the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. Well, then they have some issues and they don't get along. So we move across the street to the second Baptist church of Jerusalem. But it's just across the street. But now uh, they move across the street. And then what happens a little later on, some of them are not strict enough on some of their judgments. So you have the first independent fundamental Baptist well, just down the road. Well, from the that. one group is a pre-trib rapture. The <laughs> other is a mid-trib rapture. <laughs> well, there, was, they, there was they've a, anathematized there, each other. There was a comedian that was on the, the Gaithers. I can't think of his name. Mark Lowry. Oh, Mark Lowry. He, he, wrote, he wrote Mary, Did You he, Know? Yeah, he did. And, and he writes that song and he says, you know what? We went across the street over here to this church. And he said, Dad, the, the preacher said something we didn't like. And he said, then we realized across the street, they were pre-trib rapture people. So we figured if they're going, we're going with them. <laughs> so we got out of that and we're going ahead of the rapture. Yeah, we're said, going why, ahead of the He said, you could go across the street and go with them, but why would you want to? We're going <laughs> to escape all that. We're going to yeah. escape everything here. <laughs> oh, but I say that facetiously, but. Yeah. I. 
I thought you were going to use your other example that you well, said you were going to there's use. There's so many. Which one was it? Well, Philip and the eunuch. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know. Because you have the baptism in water, and then what, what? was he baptized? Why did Philip have what? authority to baptize him? Well, he had authority to baptism because people don't know this. When Philip was in town, yeah. there was a meeting, and some folks voted to give him the authority to baptize some folks. And he gets that authority handed directly down from him. And so when that happens, he can now baptize the Ethiopian eunuch into the first church. Baptist church. Baptist church of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Despite the fact that he left and went back to Africa. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Then he got a letter. Then he got a letter. (laughs) Changed his. We're we're in trouble. When he got back. When he got back to Ethiopia, he then requested his letter because he was baptized into that church and he requested that letter to move it to the first... Well, no, I think by then he was at the third Baptist of the Ethiopia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we say this, but this is what we get caught up in. Oh, Those of you listening word. don't know how long I had my hand over my mouth to prevent laughter. And then and then Chalen's the one that actually burst out. I'm... Uh, no, I, because this, we, this, this is facetiousness, but we're talking about the fact that um, we we come from a sort of fundamentalist background, and I do even more than Chalen, and, and there is a there's a deep emphasis on some of these things, and they they really take such a hardline view of baptism and other things such as that church local church membership, etc. That it's um, it's at a point where it it's it's sort of their own little idols. And it, it's at a point that. that the fellowship is broken because. Some of those places say grace, teach grace, and then grace is never so extended for differences. We we need to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the... Well, I thought I'd lost some weight. But well, okay. the, uh, the thing about our brethren in other denominations that, that do take a different view of the Spirit, baptism. They do, okay. and what I and said earlier, we need to extend grace to those people because we're not. You have them the ready. holiness, the Pentecostal, and the charismatic movements, American Pentecostals. Now we've exported that sort of uh, type of type of denominationalism to other countries now, particularly the charismatic, in, uh, particularly movement. in Africa. It's very popular there. So you have the, the and there's a there's a there's a emph- heavy emphasis on sign gifts, and it kind of starts from the idea of the spiritual baptism. Let me pose a question to you. But they get that from the chapter we just read. From chapter 2 of of Acts. Let me pose a question to you with that. Why is it the prosperity gospel a lot of times is attached um, to those churches with the the sign? To the the charismatic movement? Why is that? I don't know. I mean, if you notice, it's it's kind of odd. I mean, I have I, please, let me, I'm not saying all of those churches do no, that. I'm not. No, once but, again, not a blanket again, statement here. There are certain television networks that, if you were to watch them, four out of five of the programs will have something to do with that. Can you do your impersonation of the radio preacher again? Grabbing, you've got to grab the knobs to be blessed at this point. Oh Lord, Tim loved that, by the way. Oh, he did. He said, "I have no, I had no idea." I think he reached down and grabbed the knobs. She could do those voices. Yeah, put your hands on the radio. Yeah, uh, I'm, you know, okay, you know, you stated it before uh, in, in a previous episode about that. How you were watching a television program and it started to sound pretty good up to the point where the guy said, "Send oh. me a thousand dollars and I, God will bless you." Y- you know, no, that's not how it works. You don't give the man of God a thousand dollars and God gives you a blessing. No one has the power to give you a blessing. 
only God determines blessings and curses and everything else in between. Let's clarify that statement. I never said it was good. I just said, well, no, I that, didn't think he was going to go off the rails. rails the way he did, yes. And at the end of it, he's like, if you have an urge to get up and send me a $1,000, well, all right. And actually, because it was kind of funny, I was looking at Job is what I was studying. You know, here Job is lost everything and, you know, never blames God, never, you know. I really shouldn't use personal references as much as I do sometimes, but I, but but experience of things. But again, as I've told you, and I've told the audience before, I'm a PK, and those of you in the faith know what that means. I'm a preacher's kid. And I grew up in a family with a lot of religiosity, a lot of religiousness. And there was a a lot of strictness, a lot of fundamentalism. And it was on both sides, and it was on both sides of my dad's family, not hardly anything on my mom's side of the family. They were very, they were very bland in their religious views, um, I think they were mostly Southern Baptist as well, but they were just kind of like, we go to church on Sunday morning and then that's separate from the rest of our life the rest of the week. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. But but my my dad's family being from Tennessee and from the Deep South, they had a lot of, like, there was a lot of, there were a few Methodists, there were some Church of Christ, there were two or three different types of Pentecostals, and really no Baptists, which is kind of weird because my grandparents both got converted into a, Baptist faith, my dad, a Baptist, my aunt, a Baptist, and um, so my mother's, my grandmother's side, my, my paternal, my father's uh, uh, side of the family, he, my grandmother, I'll never forget this, I was at visiting a great uncle, it'd be my dad's uncle, and this was my grandmother's brother, and we were at their house, he was married to a Methodist, and he was old school holiness Pentecostal. And he was discussing some things, and, and, and a little story had been told. Aunt Pearl had told a little thing about Uncle Alan and how, yeah, he's diabetic, and I caught him eating cookies, and he had hit him from me and all this different stuff, and went on. And, and when I asked him if he'd been eating anything he shouldn't eat, he, he denied it, but then later I showed him the wrapper that I'd found, and, and then he admitted it, and various things. Okay. In a, in a religious discussion, which for some reason my grandmother was, I guess I, guess I probably get a lot of my stuff from that side of the family because the berries are more relaxed, a little more introverted, but the those wards and Allens were pretty pretty outspoken people. My grandmother was an outspoken person. She says they're in a discussion about religion, which makes my grandfather very uncomfortable. And then I'm sitting there with my cousin, and we're probably about 11 or 12 at this time, but it's burned in my memory. I'll never forget this stuff. I always spend a lot of time talking to adults, particularly elderly people. It's just the way I was raised, and we, we were raised to be quiet, sit there, and listen. And I listened to their conversation, and it was getting pretty heated. The Uncle Alan began to um, sort of berate her about not having the gifts. Sort of belittle the fact that you don't speak in tongues. You don't do this or that. It's actually not good. You should be praying for the, for the gifts of the Spirit. And he talked about perfect sanctification. I'd never heard that term before, by the way. I'm not certain at this point in my life I'd ever heard the word sanctification and remembered it. But I remembered it. He talked about being perfected. I now understand that that's talking about perfect sanctification, that it can occur with a second second period of grace in which you're giving the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this view of this, this particular theological view. At that time, he was perfected in his sanctification, and he now lives above sin, his words. Okay. And so she stopped him. 
And she said, Alan, come on. Is lying a sin? Yes. Is deceit a sin? That's lies, right? Yes. When you know to do something good and you don't do it, isn't that a sin? Yeah. If you do something that you know you shouldn't do, is that a sin? Yeah. At this point, my Aunt Pearl begins to giggle because she knows where my grandmother's going. And old boy did Bessie go there, and her name was Bessie. Bessie says, Alan, you're a liar and you're a cheater and you're a deceiver. And you, you, ate, you bought cookies you shouldn't have bought. The doctor told you not to. Your wife was watching you and telling you you're watching your diet. You lied to her when she asked you if you'd been eating anything you shouldn't eat. Then she confronts you with the cookies, and then you admit it. So you're a liar. So you're sinning. Got red in the face and got angry, and my grandfather took me and my cousin out of the room. I don't know what happened after that. But apparently he didn't live above sin, and she confronted him with him, and he got angry. And so she said, now you're mad. And I, I do remember her saying this. Now, Alan, you're getting angry. Anger's a sin if it's not righteous. And I just, I don't know what else was said. But that's the first time I'd ever heard that view. I'd never heard this idea that you can live above sin or that you can be perfected, perfectly sanctified. But I do understand now that that is an actual theory about the filling of the Holy, that the, that the secondary baptism of the Holy Spirit. But my problem is, I think what has happened in some groups is that there's a conflation between baptism of the Holy Spirit and a filling of the Holy Spirit. I would agree. A filling of the Holy Spirit can occur more than once. A filling of the Holy Spirit will empower you. Now, remember when Jesus said in, the, in chapter 1, you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come, and then you will be my witnesses. So the concept in, in the Pentecostal and then later charismatic emphasis on baptism of the Holy Spirit is that once that baptism occurs, you're then empowered for evangelism, uh, spiritual works and things like that, including the gifts of healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues. And the outward expression of that, usually, the initial expression of that, it's followed closely by the speaking of tongues. Now, a lot of charismatic groups, including a lot of Assemblies of God and other groups, do not hold to that exactly. Okay? Some do feel, do believe in the slang in the Spirit and the other stuff. Others do not. So I'm not trying to loop, lump everybody into one group. Just as there's not one group of Baptists, there is not just one group of Pentecostal or one group of Charismatic. There are many different groups and many different nominations. And um, within that, though, in the, in the original view of the context of that, this was the view. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then you'll speak in tongues as the outward expression of that. Then you're empowered for works. And one of the people they actually would talk about is R.A. Torrey. Because Tori talked about you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to go and, and be an evangelist, a witness for Christ. That's true. But Tori made a, made a rebuttal. He actually wrote a rebuttal to that, saying, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean a second baptism. There is one baptism, and he pointed to Ephesians 4 to, that you brought up to prove that. Verses 1 through 4? One, yeah, verses 1 through 4. Uh, no, verses 1 through 5, sorry. 1 through 5, I'm sorry. And so... He pointed that out, and he said that you're confusing what I'm... You don't put me in that group. That's not what I said. I do believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he was from Moody. You know who R.A. Torrey is. Yeah, I know who yeah, I've got books by him. You probably have read stuff by him. R.A. Torrey was, was a pretty good theologian. I might not agree with everything, but pretty good theologian. Um, he was like, no, that's not exactly what I meant, because he didn't call it secondary baptism. Um and he, did, he said it was not a second means of grace. It wasn't something given to some people, but not others. He said the baptism of the Holy Spirit begins at the, at the day, time of rebirth. When you're saved, you're, filled with the, you're given the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe that initially happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But can you 
get a little lower in ebbs in your life, can the cares of this world drag you down and you're not walking as closely with Jesus and, and feel, as filled with the Holy Spirit as you once were? Yes. Can you then come back in renewal? Can you let a sin come between you and your relation? Yeah, but First John says. Because if he says, if we, we walk in the light and say we have no sin, we are liars and the truth's not in us. Because a truly converted Christian will understand he is a sinner and he will still sin. He says, but if we confess our sins, he's what? Faithful to forgive us of our sins. And then he's going to clean us and he's going to remove our unrighteousness. That's not about salvation. That's for someone already saved. If you have that walking in between you, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in sin. But God's not going to leave you in that sin. You confess it, you repent, you move on. You can then get filled with the Holy Spirit once again. And I think we need that's to... That's re- what I think is the difference between and, where some groups see the baptism and where I actually see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I agree with you totally. And I, and I think one thing we need to keep in conscience there is without God, without Him in our life, without Him the one doing it, we're totally depraved. That's right. We're totally depraved without it. Absolutely. It's called original sin. It's original sin. It's passed down from Adam. Yep. The the second Adam has 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 finally fulfilled that because he did not sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become his righteousness. And that righteousness is called imputation. It's given to us. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us at salvation. Think of it. So when I'm Christ like, sees us on the day of ju- when God the Father views us at the day of judgment, or when we pray and we're in trouble with God and we ask for forgiveness of a sin, Jesus is our lawyer, our mediator, our defense attorney, saying, "When the accuser has come and confused God and confuses, when Satan, the Satan, Hasatan, says, your child's doing this," and Jesus says, "But he's mine," and God the Father sees the blood of Christ and that covers our sin. The, the simplest way to put it is always the courtroom analogy yeah. where you've broke the law. Uh, you have transgressed against the law. There is a debt to be paid. And it just happens that that debt for uh, even the smallest sin is an eternity apart uh, from a holy and righteous God. But he made a way. And he made that way through Christ and through his, and through his atoning work upon the cross. And so when we stand before that judge... And we have the crimes presented before us. The perfect Savior, the spotless Lamb of God, everything that He is, we become. And all of our sin, tragically or gloriously, was placed upon Him. Amen. Uh, that that'll preach. I mean that that's it. That's it in in a nutshell. And I think you know it's. Um, no, no, no dipping in water, no outward ecstatic uh, form of spirituality, whether it be in in tongues or any other thing, is saying you've seen a vision, anything else. None of that is as important as knowing that you know that you know the one that did what you just said. That did be the that was that is the only propitiation, the only rant, the only payment, the only one that can ransom your lost soul, the only one that can save you, and that's Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. You know, we've been through a lot I think of that, stuff today. I think that's a good place yeah. to absolutely... We covered a lot. Uh, this is... And we are not done with baptism. No, I think we've got another... I think we've got, got at least another, one more. I think we've got another. I think we'll do a trilogy. I think we've got a really good uh, third thing to cover. And in that, we're going to cover a few things that are a little more bizarre. And please remember, 
questions, comments. Yeah. Comments at the dumbspeak.com. Comments, yeah. plural, dumbspeak.com. Please, anything that you want discussed, no matter if we know you, if we don't, if if we, we don't know you, we, we'd love to hear from you. If we do not know who you are and you're listening to the show, we'd love to hear from you. It's comments at dumbspeak.com. Please. If you're comfortable, um, tell us where, what part of the world you're at. And, and when we look at our online demographics, we see people from other countries. I don't know why anyone from <laughs> anywhere would listen to us, but what is it you once referred to our show as? Instead of the Dumble Speak, it's two goobers talking. Two goobers gabbing. <laughs> two goobers gabbing. Actually, that was from my niece. Oh, okay. named it. She's like, why don't you just call the show what it is? Two goobers gabbing. Yeah. And uh, so, but it please email us with the questions. Please uh, refrain from any swearing, cussing. You know, and, and we, please we give us if it's negative. Love, please just a, give it to us. We've tried to use scripture to, to base what we believe on, but if you if you see it differently, tell us and tell us why. But and do it politely. It, and if you do it rudely, I send all questions like that to Roy. So you know, but <laughs> please do it. Visit our website. Like I said earlier, and and we have not forgot our website is going to be changing. We're probably going to be adding a Roy and uh, Chaylin's Corner separate. Uh, just some little video teaching or articles or it'll be it won't be more than likely the length of what we do this is our ultimate this is a ministry for us so but man we cannot thank you for listening for subscribing we we do appreciate it we we really do and and moving forward we hope to uh to do more things but all to bring honor and glory to him amen and roy why don't you take us out is that it i'm done if you're done Until next time, folks, we love you. We're praying for you and you pray for us and our ministry. And we hope we are, we are ministering to you, to you in some way. And that's our only goal. Take care. And until next time, God bless. listening to the Dumb Will Speak, a podcast in which we seek to honor the truth of God as revealed in His Word. Visit us online at www.dumbspeak.com. Send any comments or suggestions by email at comments, plural, at dumbspeak.com. <laughs>